Hey, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Off to a good start. Peter and the band rocking it out. And uh, it's really good to be here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. And like Peter said, we're two weeks in. It's safe to say Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas. Hey, listen, last week we kicked off a series called COAL, which stands for, it's an acronym for Christmas on Another Level, just in case you missed that. And what we're doing is we're asking and exploring the question, what would it look like to break out of the norm and have not just a good Christmas season, a good Christmas, a good December, but a great Christmas season, a great December, a great Christmas. One that we can look back on and say, man, that was the best one ever. And we looked at how one way we can do that is by taking a step toward aligning our Christmas with what we know to be true about Jesus and why he came, which in a nutshell is to love and serve others. And if you missed that message, you can catch up online or using the app, and I'd encourage you to do that. But at the end of that message, we were left with a challenge. The challenge to go out and between now and Christmas to love this city some way, somehow. And then write down whatever it is you did to do that. Uh, Maybe it was, you know, buying a coffee for somebody in line or delivering groceries to a family need, whatever it happens to be. You were to write that down and then put that card in a box that's out in the info table. And the staff, we said, we're going to collect all those every week and we're going to post them on the website. And so we put up a page. Address is on your screen. It's themeetingplace.org slash coal. And we've since added a space where you can actually go on there and it'll say, share your story. And you can just write in whatever it is you did that week, that day. So you don't have to wait till Sunday. And we're going to post all that stuff. And they've been coming in. Like you guys, it's just amazing how you guys are stepping up and doing this. Now, I've heard some people say, well, why are we sharing it? That kind of seems weird. Like, isn't that like patting ourselves in the back and say, hey, look at us, look how good we are. Well, yeah, you could look at it that way, but uh, th- that's not what this is about. And that's why we say, don't put your name to it. Like, don't write your name down because it, this isn't about that. This is about experiencing Christmas on another level by each of us individually following uh, these prompts, ideas, these nudges uh, that pop into our, our minds and our hearts to do something we might not normally do in a course of our day to help make a difference in someone else's life, whether that's an individual, a family, uh, but to make a difference in their life this Christmas. Sharing what we've done as a community simply creates two things. One is it's, it's an encouragement. When you see what people are doing, it's just like, man, this is awesome seeing what people are doing. But it also helps us gauge how we're doing as a church and living out our vision, which is to be a church that is known for unleashing God's extravagant love on this city. And I love that vision. I really do. And as, but as much as I, I like being a church that's outward focused and loving and serving our community, you know, as much as that fires me up, it freaks me right out at the same time. And here's why. Because I know it's going to require me going outside of my comfort zone and doing things that I would rather not do or I wouldn't normally do. And it, that, that just kind of wigs me out a little bit. I'll just be honest. And maybe you found the same. You're driving along. You thought, eh, maybe I should do this. And then you thought, ah, no, I'm not going to do that. This, yeah, nobody's going to care, that kind of thing, right? So here, here's where I'm going with this whole thing. Most of my life, as long as I can remember, I, I've been what you would call a believer. 
And what I mean by that is I have always believed from as, from the, as long as I can remember anyway, that Jesus was God in the flesh. That's a whole Christmas story that God came to this planet as a man to show us a better way to do life in relationship with one another. And so he came and did that. And then he was crucified on a Roman cross. But three days later, rose again, defeating death once for all. That's the Easter story. And because of that, I have a way back to reconnect with God. I've always believed that for as long as I can remember. But I wasn't always what you would call a follower. My relationship with God when I was younger was all about going to heaven and avoiding that other place, that hot spot, and not Wi-Fi, that other hot spot, right? That's what it was all about. And so I didn't really want anything else to do with God. I didn't want him interfering in my life too much, and so I kind of kept him at arm's length, and here's why. I was afraid. My biggest fear is that if I went to God and said, okay, here I am, you know, as Carrie Underwood sang, take the wheel, you know, you can kind of have charge of my life, I'm your guy. I'm going to do my best to follow you and go wherever you lead. That he would assuredly send me to some remote, dusty village in nowhere Africa. I was convinced of that. That's, that's where you just ended up, if that's what you did. And the thought of living in a grass hut in hot, humid weather with, without running water or flush toilets and Big Macs freaked me right out. It was just like, I'm not signing up for that. And so I kept God at a distance. I believed he was real. I just didn't want to follow him because that's where I'd end up. Well, get this. Quite a few years ago now, I, was, I found myself listening to this guy from Africa. He was an African, and he was traveling throughout Canada, stopping at these various cities, sharing how the, the message of God's unconditional love and forgiveness was kind of sweeping across the African continent and how... He had been involved in that from a very young age. He was introduced to, to God, and, and he kind of just caught on to it and said, man, this is the best news ever. i got to help spread the news. And so he shared all his adventures of doing this. And afterward, I had a chance to, to meet this guy and chat with him. And in the course of our conversation, I shared with him, you know, like how I kind of held back following God because, well, I was afraid he was going to send me to Africa. And I remember this guy, he kind of looked at me. He was puzzled. His puzzler was being puzzled. And he had this really serious look in my face. And, and I thought, did I say something to offend this guy? Like, this is, this is feeling really awkward. And then all of a sudden, this serious look on his face just exploded. And this big smile just erupted on his face. And he started to chuckle. And, it, and it, through his laughter, he said, I laugh because... Just as Christians in Canada say no to following God because they think he'll send them to Africa, there are Christians in Africa who say no to following God because he's, they're sure that he's going to send them to Canada. Now, he might have said Edmonton or Manitoba or something like that. I'm not sure. But, but it's interesting, isn't it? We always think, oh, fear of what God might ask us to do is often what keeps most of us from taking our next step toward him. Moving from what you could call being a believer to a follower. Which raises the question, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between a believer and a follower? It's a great question. 
And no matter where you find yourself this morning, maybe you're here and you're just checking out the whole concept of a higher power or God, or maybe you've been here for a while and around the church most of your life, it's a question that has relevance. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, famous German author, pastor, respected theologian, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And here's what he said inside it. He, sa- he wrote this. The problem is that many people believe the right things in their heads about Jesus, but do not follow him. The solution, Bonhoeffer continues, is discipleship, which can be summarized. Listen to how he summarizes it. Believing what Jesus believed, living the way Jesus lived, and loving the way Jesus loved. James, the half-brother of Jesus, put it this way put it this way. He was a little more pointed when he put it this way in a letter that he wrote to some first century Christians who were believing the right things, but they're kind of struggling with following. And here's what he wrote. My friends, what good is it to say you have faith or belief when you don't do anything to show that you really do have faith or belief? Can that kind of faith save you? And then he says this, if you know someone who doesn't have any clothes or food, You shouldn't just say, I hope all goes well with you. I hope you will be warm and have plenty to eat. What good is it to say this unless you do something to help? Interesting, isn't it? There's not a lot of wiggle room there. Jesus himself beautifully describes his view of what a follower looks like. And his words are found in the first book of the New Testament, a book called Matthew And there's a bunch of people sitting around listening to him. And and he says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You know what salt does, right? It flavors things. And what he's saying is, I want you to be influencers. I want you to flavor the places that you're in, in a positive way. Your families, your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your schools. And then he went on, he says, not only that, you're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm inviting you to be more than just people who believe and like the idea of God. He's saying, I'm inviting you to live in such a way that your faith, your belief will show up and stand out. Jesus is calling you and I to something that's the opposite of business as usual. He's inviting us, you and me, to take a step off of normal to do something that's outside of our comfort zone, something that is beyond our current capabilities, our natural bent. But something I felt, and maybe, maybe this is true for you too, is that that's where the rub comes. It can be hard to follow God, and here's why I say that. We don't trust God. And that's the conundrum we find ourselves in. We like the idea of following But we don't follow because we don't trust. But we can't learn to trust until we follow. That's the circle we find ourselves in. And that's that's what this whole challenge that we threw out last week is really about. 
It's about stepping out and into your faith, putting into action the things that you believe to be true about what Jesus taught. But that can be scary, can it? But you know what? In my experience, it is totally worth it because we have no idea what hangs in the balance. When we step out and do what we might just brush off as some insignificant, small, meaningless little act of service or love. There's a really cool story in the Bible about a guy. He's only named in this one story. Uh, His name's Ananias. Uh, And one thing we know about him is at some point in his life, he decided to follow the teachings of Jesus. He said, no, I'm in. I'm going to do this. He's seemingly quietly making his way through life, much like you and I, just, you know, working, putting food on the table, paying the bills. And then one day he comes to one of those times, one of those forks in the road where he needs to make a decision, a decision to say yes, to respond to a call from God or not, because we all have a choice. This story is found in the New Testament in a book called Acts. And if you're not familiar with the Bible and you're saying, I don't, I don't even know where I'd start reading the Bible, read Acts. There's shipwrecks in there and oh, all kinds of stuff, snake bites. and just You should read it. It's really good. Uh, but that's where this story takes place. And what's happening, the background of this story is there's a guy named Saul going around snuffing out all these people that have uh, kind of started following Jesus' teachings. Jesus is dead, he's been crucified, and Paul, Saul is like, we just got to finish these people off because they're just disrupting everything. And so he gets basically a license to go out and arrest all these people, followers of the way they called it, this Jewish knockoff cult. Well, this happens. Saul's on his way to arrest a bunch of this, the last, what he hopes is the last remnants of this ragtag group of Jesus followers. When he bumps into the resurrected Jesus. And it's an amazing story. It's a big flash of light. He falls down on the ground. He's blinded. And he ends up holed up in a house in a town called Damascus, which is where Ananias lives. Okay? So that's kind of the, gets us to the, and that's where we're going to jump into the story. Listen to this. In Damascus, there was a disciple, a follower named Ananias. Jesus called to him in a vision and he said, Ananias, Yes, Lord, he answered. And he told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. That's pretty out there, right? Listen to this next part. This is where I kind of relate to this story. Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And it doesn't say it in there, but basically what Ananias is saying is, I call on your name, which means he's come to arrest people like me. So thanks, but no thanks. Are you sure? I don't know where you're at with God this morning. Uh, But maybe you're here and you've experienced something similar. You know, maybe not as vivid an encounter as that. I mean, I certainly haven't. Uh, But maybe 
you've sensed that nudge, that prompt, that, that thought has gone through your head to do something that you normally wouldn't do. And maybe for you, uh, that nudge is to invite your obnoxious neighbor over for a barbecue. You know the one. One that yells at your kids every time they knock their soccer ball or frisbee into his yard and climb over the fence. Or grumbles at them when they're playing street hockey out in the front of the house and he's always, ah, they're too loud. And you're feeling this nudge that you should invite him over for dinner? Or maybe you're here and you're feeling as though you should befriend that new kid at school who for the last three days you've noticed has ate lunch all by themselves. Or maybe as you're driving around town, you've heard about the need for volunteers at some of the awesome organizations in town. Loaves and Fishes, Crossroad Crisis Pregnancy Center. And you thought, man, you know, I should give him a call and see if I can help somehow. Whatever it is, a, a nudge, a feeling, a thought, an impulse, whatever you want to call it, you feel it, but that requires you to take an action. To step out of your comfort zone. And so, like Ananias, the excuses start, right? Oh, my neighbor probably won't come for dinner anyways. Nothing but grumpy. Or me and that new kid, we probably have nothing in common. What would we talk about? They won't have a convenient shift for me down at the loaves and fishes. Ah, there's no point even calling. You know, just, is it just me? I mean, that's been my experience when I've had these nudges. Uh, one morning several years ago, it started off like every other morning for me uh, with coffee. <laughs> you got to have coffee. And a quick read through this little devotional book called The Daily Bread. Maybe some of you read it. We give them away free here every Sunday. They're right outside the door here at the theater or out in the lobby. Uh, on this particular day when I was reading it, the heading at the top of the page said this. What cancer can't do? And I thought, wow, that's interesting topic. And so I began to read it. And as I'm reading it, I began to think about this woman who attended the same church I was attending at the time, whose mom was in the hospital fighting terminal cancer. She'd just been recently diagnosed. Things, it was very aggressive. Things were not looking good. And as I'm reading this, I'm, I just get this thought going through my head call her and just share these words with her. Maybe they can find some comfort or encouragement in them. That's when the excuses began. I thought about that thought and decided, well, in the end, they're just words. Not going to make any difference, really. Besides, the last thing she probably wants to do is have somebody phone her to remind her about what her mom's going through. And so I dismissed it. Just said, dumb idea, carry on. But that thought just kept running through my head. Call her. Call her. And each time I just rationalized it away, like, ah, yeah, kept going on with my day. But it wouldn't go away. Call her. Call her. Just pick up the phone, call her, and share those words with her. At some point, I just got to the point where I was like, fine, I'll call her. But tonight, because she's probably busy right now and not home. She's probably at work or something, right? I mean, the excuses just kept coming. I just call her. Call her. I finally gave in and picked up the phone, dialed her number. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is a total waste of time. She's not going to be home. Like, this is just, I'm going to be speaking to a, a, an answering machine. Like, this is ridiculous. 
Second ring. Hello? Right away, I just tense right up. My throat goes tight. My mouth goes dry, and I'm, I can't say anything. And, and I'm sitting there trying to talk, and I can. She's, she's, she says, hello, is anyone there? And finally, I squeak out. It sounded like Justin Bieber, probably. Hi, it's Gary. You know, how are you? And then I think, oh, what a stupid question. How are you? Like, she's lousy. Your mom's in the hospital dying of cancer. Can, can't you come up with a better question than that? And I'm just beating myself up. And she says, you know, considering I'm doing okay, how about you? And I'm like, well, I'm doing all right. Uh, but, hey, the reason I called you is I read some words this morning, and I thought maybe they could encourage you and your mom with what she's going through. And I then proceeded to share them with her. And when I finished, it was complete silence on the other end. And I'm thinking, oh, way to go. She's hung up on you. Now you got that to deal with. And I, I was just like, what a schmuck. Like, what a... Ooh. After what felt like forever, I kind of sheepishly said, are you still there? Silence. Nothing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did this. I knew I shouldn't have called. And I was about to hang up thinking she'd done the same to me. When through tears, she said this. I can't believe it. I was standing at the front door of my house on the way to see my mom, hesitating. Because I have nothing to say to her. And so I had just asked God, give me something to say. And you called. Keep reading the story of Ananias and you'll learn that he went. He obeyed that nudge. He followed that nudge. He could have said no. Stayed home because, man, the risks were pretty high, right? Could have cost him his life. He could have rationalized the way that, that vision, that voice he heard is just that, just a voice in his head. And like, oh, that's kind of weird. Maybe I should go get some help or something. And the same is true for you and me. You and I can choose to say no. But here's something to think about. I really believe, truly believe that you, you have, you're here today led by a power higher than yourself. You felt a nudge. You heard something in your, your heart or your spirit that said, go check out that church at the theater. And maybe your first reaction was, oh, no, it's kind of church. I don't, I don't know. It'd be pretty scary to go. But here you are. And sitting here right now, you, you're probably thinking that there's absolutely no way that anything I could do uh, could change anything. But here's the thing. Things done through the love and power of Jesus could impact this world and this future, and he'll work through you to accomplish that. Listen to this. After Ananias' visit, when he finally went and knelt in front of Saul, this guy that could have just taken his head off, probably wanted to take his head off, Saul not only received his sight, he received a new name, Paul. Symbolic of the forgiveness he had received. God had wiped clean the slate, gave him a new start. Even after all the brutal stuff Paul had done, Jesus said, I forgive you. Now come, follow me, and let's change the world. And Paul did. He took the life-changing message of Jesus Christ to the very center of the known world at the time, Rome. 
And from there, it just radiated out. He went around the Mediterranean rim and planted churches just like this. Maybe not in a theater, but he planted churches just like this. And then he wrote letters to the people that were in those churches and other churches that other people had, had, had started to encourage them. And those letters that he wrote now make up almost half of what is now known as the New Testament in our Bible. All because a guy named Ananias responded to a nudge. You know, I don't know what your experience was this past week with the challenge to go do something. But I'll tell you this. There has been responses coming in. And I invite you to go check them out. Uh, but maybe for you it was just like, oh, I want to do it. but It's in that moment when we say, okay, I'm going to trust you in this that God will show up. And then we can begin to trust him a little bit more, a little bit more. And we move from just believing in our head all the right things to actually living them out and making a dent in this city. So here's the question. When you get a nudge today or tomorrow or Wednesday, will you follow it? That's the question. Really glad you're here with me, and I get to be here with you on this journey as we clumsily stumble forward trying to learn to trust God and love others. I invite you to pray with me. God, trust is such a... Man, we, we, in our heads we believe the right things, but to, to actually put those things into action, it, it can cost us. You know, maybe our reputations or whatever, people making fun of us, whatever it happens to be. And so sometimes we just, we hang back. We're afraid of what might happen or what you might ask us to do. But there's examples all through the biblical narrative of how you've asked people, you've given them nudges, pushed them in a direction, and they followed. And they had the an adventure that, you know, you couldn't even script. It was just fantastic. And you promised that same adventure for us, but it can be scary. So just give us the courage and the strength. Pour out your grace as we kind of, those times that we say no and we hold back. But help us to see, especially over this Christmas, as we reflect on you and the, the movement you made to come down to this earth to be with us, that we would experience you on another level. Thank you for loving us, and we pray this in your name. Amen.